A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Alpha. And I'm Stephen. And on today's New Statesman podcast... We discuss Dominic Cummings and herd immunity, and you ask us, why is Liz Trust so popular with the Tory grassroots? Well, Westminster is holding its breath before Dominic Cummings appears before the um, Health and Science Select Committees on Wednesday morning. But we've had a little bit of a taste of what he's going to be talking about. One of his main claims is that there was very much a herd immunity strategy for dealing with coronavirus, which had to be sort of changed at the 11th hour, which is why the first lockdown was so delayed and is thought to have resulted in unnecessary deaths. And he makes a lot of other criticisms of of the government and sort of says that he's sitting on some explosive documents that will reveal just how deep the mistakes were that were made in that period. What is he actually saying that's very new, Stephen? Because I think from anyone who was following this closely at the time, it's very clear that herd immunity wasn't in any way a a secret strategy. It was something that that ministers and and government scientists were talking about openly at the time. I I read the Sage Minutes. I make a point of reading them whenever a new batch comes out. I've reread them in the light of this Twitter thread and in some of the, the stories. And I, to be honest, don't really understand what it is that is new about any of this, other than the the slight weird choice that the government has gone for, which I mean, I say slightly weird. I think actually, if your if your default setting with the public is to resist transparency and to to disassemble, ironically, something you could also say of Dominic Cummings, then you will often go go for sort of things which are obviously untrue. When you'd probably be better off just saying, "Yeah, we did," as we were candid about at the time, because basically the dispute between the essentially seems to be about you know kind of well it depends how you define her murder wow i'd like to apologize to all listeners for the fact that it turns out that i've gone for the novel experiment of trying to do a podcast while being unable to speak or form words <laughs> um comfort her murder murder immunity uh, which is where you don't get any her murders um i don't know what that is but but you know uh, but explicitly right their whole thing was we don't think then people are going to be able to to lock down that's pretty that's clear in the stage we do think people will be willing to absorb a much higher level of of death oh look what happens to the chart in terms of nhs capacity you know as the cliche that i think you know people who read our free morning email are probably tired of reading is you know the kind of my thing of the end of 20th century medicine as we know it right none of this is new I'm sure that if you are Dominic Cummings, it is important to your sense of the last however many months to go, this terrible mistake that was made, I didn't like it. And the people who were still there did. But I sort of feel that that we know this, right? This is just baked into the cake of what 
the government did, and it's what the government said it was doing. The actually weird thing is that the government is now trying to pretend this isn't what it said it was doing. Yeah, I think that that's that's where the conflict is, because as you said, the government keeps denying that it had a herd immunity strategy and has also slightly confounded the argument a bit by defining herd immunity a little bit differently at different points, because plainly the the whole question of how you manage a pandemic is one of how many people can catch this disease at, at once, how many of those people will end up in hospital, how many of those will die, and, and how how much can your health system cope with at any one point. And and so like clearly questions of immunity are, are baked into that, but but we've seen from lots of different government ministers them interpreting it in different ways um, and sort of trying to emphasize that it was more about vaccines than about herd immunity and all this kind of stuff. But as you say, I think it, it won't come as a as much of a surprise to people who were following it at the time to hear these newer allegations from Dominic Cummings that herd immunity was the strategy, not least because actually, I think probably what matters less than what the strategy was or what you call it is the fact that we did lock down very late and that bit is not disputed and that's the like that's still the government record on the deaths that occurred in during that delay that 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 bit is not disputed at all so in a way the exact nature of the discussions that led to that huge delay are secondary but but I think I think it's just it's interesting because as you say Westminster is kind of holding its breath for Dominic Cummings's appearance before the select committee on Wednesday and I think from from speaking to conservative MPs who clearly do have you know a vested interest in this not being interesting it does seem like they sincerely think that it isn't that interesting in the you know the thing that they they really emphasized and that was backed up by polling over the weekend in the Times slash Sunday Times is is just like how unpopular Dominic Cummings is that he's not a very trusted messenger so you know one one conservative MP who I was talking to over the weekend was saying that like they had never had as many emails from constituents literally thousands and thousands as when Dominic Cummings took his took his wee trip up to Barnard Castle for his eye test. <laughs> and and then, you know, they said that they've had about five emails about the about the wallpaper and about herd immunity and so on. The you know, the, the all the different bombs that, that Dominic Cummings has dropped over the past few months. I think they really they feel like there's not that much to worry about. I think that they're quite resentful of how much time and space it is being given by journalists. But, you know, and I mean, I think that we are right to, to take a, a big interest in it. But I, but but also you can see their argument. And also, you know, the thing that, that a lot of people are pointing out is, is how much Dominic Cummings is undermined by having been in the room. And, you know, he talks about, you know, if there had been more competent people and <laughs> he was the dining street chief of staff. Yeah. No, I know. I think it sort of takes me back to like GCSE history, you know, when your your teacher is like, but what is the, you know, what is the motivation behind this source? You know, what what were they doing, if, especially if they're a primary source? What what was their involvement at the time? Why would they be trying to to paint the picture that they're painting? And I think that there's there's this general consensus, particularly, you know, through the very brilliant reporting of, of the Sunday Times's um, insight team into sort of exactly what was going on when all of these decisions were being made, that Dominic Cummings, you know, was on board with herd immunity and sort of letting the virus sort of rip through the community before he was presented with exactly sort of how catastrophic that picture would be and sort of 
flipped to being a lockdown evangelist. I think they call it the Domicene conversion in their book, Failures of State, the, um, the, the journalist from the Sunday Times who are looking into this. So you kind of think, okay, you know, I'm sure he'll have his own his, his own side of the story on on how he came to form that view, and we'll have to wait for him to 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 say that. You know, in order to be fair fair to him, but you do get you know you, there is a very strong feeling here that there is a motivation more than just transparency behind what he's saying in the documents he wants to reveal, which is that he wants to suggest that he was actually arguing for the right thing at the time, and no one else was listening to his genius, and and you just I think that definitely does undermine his integrity as a source. So hopefully my GCSE history teachers will be pleased with me saying that. And and also this this kind of is is a precursor to 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 what's to come, I think, with the inquiry, because everyone who is going to be making claims that sort of raise eyebrows in Westminster and sort of make everyone take notice, they're also going to have their own reason for revealing the things that they reveal and also holding back the things that they choose to hold back because they will be trying to paint a picture of themselves as people who were on the right side of history, Um, which is why it's particularly difficult to report on crises like these because everyone has their own motive for the things that they're choosing to to tell you and to reveal and the things that, that they're choosing not to. So I think not only does this build up and this kind of quite theatrical build up with his sort of Twitter thread and as if he's dropping truth truth bombs, which, as Stephen says, aren't necessarily that new or exciting. Um, I think it sort of reveals a wider problem with the, the inquiry and the build up to the inquiry, which is how much can you trust what, what people are saying about what they were saying at the time? And that, I think, is only going to become more acute as we try and develop a, an, an official picture of what actually happened rather than just what was you know, uncovered and reported. If the inquiry really wants to get to the heart of the matter, that's going to be the big barrier. And of course, when you speak to politicians about things like this, they all have their own opinions on Dominic Cummings and, and others um, as well, which complicates the, the, the political reaction further. I think you talk about the Tory MPs who are kind of saying, well, he's incredibly unpopular anyway. And then there are the ones who may feel a little bit of vindication by saying, why on earth did Downing Street hire such a, such a figure, knowing that, that he could be volatile in this way? Well, I think um, a lot of this reveals is an attitude towards how you bring change and is incredibly personalised. And and to me, that is the, the story of Dom Cummings' successes, but also, more importantly, his failures. In the, Yeah, I am sure that, I mean, I, I'm maybe he will be this open about it, but I would be willing to bet that if I went back through my blog role, because slightly embarrassingly, it turns out Dom Cummings and I read a lot of the same blogs, except, yeah, there's kind of, there's basically a, what the rationalist community, there's an end where it gets a little bit too much like, ah, Bush has an Ashkenazi brain, but the bestiality of the African, interesting. There's a bit where it gets just a bit calipery for me, and I'm, like, I'm not into that. But the kind of, um, yeah, the sort of altruistic, um, yeah, the effect of altruism, the, um, yeah, the how do you use prediction to improve stuff, right? I also read a lot of that stuff. And I would be willing to bet that if I went back through, I would probably find the exact blog that caused Don Cummings to go, oh, actually, we should lock down. And I'm not going to pretend that my insights on it were any better or any less influenced by, you know, what I was reading or the person at the foreign office who said to me, you know, the Chinese New Year is actually a huge deal. It's like us shutting down Christmas. Like, oh, right. So that suggests that they're not being honest about transmissibility. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it does. It's really worrying. But where I think is Achilles heel in all of this stuff, right, is he's obsessed with people as in individual people. Like, yeah, like, oh, you know, Jenny Harry's was bad. Oh, so was good oh the people in this organized but institutions are what shape the quality of the people you have not least through their hr policy obviously hr is something that he 
enjoys castigating in his blogs, but actually good HR is how you get better people. I mean, it is a mystery to me, at least, that how it is 18 months into this, we're still so uninterested in best practice. If, if it hasn't happened in Europe, I was going to say if it hadn't happened in Europe, and then I remember that Wales has managed to vaccinate um, many more adults than anywhere else in the United Kingdom. And there is absolutely no political or social pressure to go, hey, why don't we copy the, 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 the so-called lean model that Wales has, has adopted? Fundamentally, I think questions of institutions, you can fix, well, you can patch over flaws in institutions by having, you know, a single great man or a man that you read the blog of or you met over coffee in you know, a, a, you know, somewhere in SW1. But enduring change happens when you change how an institution operates. And the slight weird thing is, is that you can tell that he thinks and an inquiry is sort of a thing where someone comes down from the heavens and goes, you were very, very bad. And now the Tories must be out of office for, ooh, let's say, 15 years. Um, that's not what happens. What they're meant to do is to go, okay, here's why we didn't learn these things. Here are the institutions we could create than might mean that it would happen. Here's how we would change existing institution. And I think that both the reasons why he was forced out, which is in his incredibly personalized style of trying to solve these important problems, but also his his approach to revenge, which is this belief in what happens is eventually an inquiry, you know, comes down hand of the lottery style and goes, it's you, Boris Johnson, <laughs> is why his revenge will fail as well. Now, maybe, of course, when we we reconvene after his evidence gathering sessions, it will be another, wow, how, how wrong can Stephen Bush be in a single week? But I just think then the problem is that his style and approach of government, which is, oh, just know the right people, get the right people in, doesn't work. It's structures that you have to improve to improve outcomes. That's really interesting because when I interviewed Suzanne Haywood, the widow of the former head of the civil service, Jeremy Haywood, that web, that interview will be coming shortly, listeners. When I interviewed her, that was one of the things that, that she and I were talking about, that um, Jeremy Haywood was really at the heart of of the British establishment at the very, very centre of Number 10 and how the UK is governed for decades. And the thing actually, when I was profiling Boris Johnson's new chief of staff in Downing Street, Dan Rosenfeld, the really unexpected lesson from profiling him was all these different people who had been in Downing Street um, and at the Treasury under David Cameron and under Gordon Brown, what they were all sort of saying is that they don't think that Downing Street has quite recovered from the loss of Jeremy Haywood, this incredibly talented man right at the heart of, of government for so long. And and actually Suzanne Haywood was was just sort of reflecting on how that's actually that does you know, he Jeremy would be personally very disappointed to learn that he hadn't fixed the institution such that he could go and it would be fine that actually, you know, it's not a great way of running things if you're very dependent on getting the right people in and that works temporarily, but they leave this just lacuna when when they're gone. And I think you're I think that's a very good observation, Stephen, that Dominic Cummings is obsessed with like, you know, I mean people will remember the Mavericks and Misfits or Weirdos and Misfits, I think it was, that he was trying Trying to recruit into Dining Street, and some of them had to be fired really quickly for very questionable views. Um, but in that Twitter thread, he talks about the problem during the government's coronavirus response being, you know, that there were the wrong people in the wrong jobs, and 
And yet his response, even throughout that weird Twitter thread, is to just sort of tag, you know, he literally asks people that he thinks are good (laughs) and like their blogs and so on. It's a very like individualized rather than systemic response to that. Also, as an aside, I feel like we should do uh, a spin-off podcast on effective altruism in a quiet week because, Stephen, I didn't realize that you were into it too. And I have lots of thoughts. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time for a section we like to call... Our question today is from Jacob Stevens. He's asking, why is Liz Trust so popular with the conservative grassroots? Could the row over Australia hurting our farmers, in quote marks, also hurt her approval ratings? So I think Jacob is, is referring to the story about the UK's potential new trade deal with Australia um, and whether or not it would undermine British farmers. Albert, First of all, let's look at Liz Truss's sort of standing in the Conservative Party, because that is part of this question. Why do you think that she does seem to have popularity among the general rank and file of of, of Tory supporters? She's a sort of Thatcherite girl boss. And she is seen, (laughs) she's just seen by, by I think, lots of people as this, I think, I think part of it is actually specifically about Margaret Thatcher and the enduring affection that lots of Conservatives have for these quite powerful, bossy is such a gendered phrase, but like powerful, bossy conservative women. I think there's a lot of respect for that that type of politician within the Conservative Party. But then she specifically um, is just an out-and-out free marketeer in a way that I think lots of people admire. And I think they see her as a as someone with serious thought through politics and and have a lot of time for that. I don't know what the two two of you make of it. If there's if there's anything more to it than than the sort of the Thatcherite woman plus the free market politics. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely part of it. But also, I think just the way that you see her operate. So you know. When you go to party conference and you're doing the sort of rounds of the parties and drinks receptions and things, she's always there. She's always there, like chatting, laughing, so open to speaking to everyone, you know, super friendly. I mean, there's a horrible phrase that I feel like is journalese and only ever used in Westminster, but, but you know, people's, it's, it, she's clubbable, which is such a horrible word, but I think she's, she's that type of person who seems to sort of command <laughs> warm responses in the people that, that she meets. But also I do think that she does cultivate that kind of, um, like, you, like you so well described, that kind of 
strong Tory woman with pure ideology kind of image. She sort of gained kind of cult status from, from her image. I remember one of the stories that I got in trouble for writing, or maybe just tweeting a long time ago, was when she was made environment secretary under Cameron. And I'd heard from someone in the department that she'd she didn't have any wellies and she had to quickly order Hunter wellies. I may get in trouble for, for, for repeating this again. But anyway, I thought it was a funny throwaway little anecdote. And I actually got a call from someone, you know, saying, what on earth is this? You know, this is so untrue. How dare you tweet this? Um, so that that to me stuck in my mind because I thought she really does care about that image. You know, usually a, a politician wouldn't care so much about such a trivial story. But the fact that she wanted to look like she was someone sort of au fait with being out in the countryside and going and shaking hands in the, at the conservative associations and you know being one of theirs one of one of them kind of stuck in my mind um so i think there's there's that that cultivation of an image as well as perhaps just being a, a personality that that people warm to yeah i think yeah the the secret of her success among the conservative grassroots is partly political and partly Personal and obviously those two things are hugely linked because your personal instincts to actually seize the opportunity and the gap in the market that has emerged is you know is about both your politics and your your sort of instincts for seizing your moment, which is that Liz Truss's um, political. It's going to be like when I did my Pretty Patel thing and half of our listeners went that was really good and terrifying and the other half went I can't believe that you love Pretty Patel now, but look. <laughs> Liz Truss is someone whose whose political stock was sufficiently low in 2017 that she was actually um, internally weak enough for um, Theresa May to demote her after the 2017 election. You know, when she desperately had to, like, find some spare... Yeah, because I'm in trouble. What I need to do is find some way of getting Michael Gove back inside the tent because he's too dangerous to keep outside, right? And she was basically able to move her close allies who, you know... Who she who only only moved because they were close allies of her and her politics and didn't want yeah you know, the era of Johnson to follow it. But Liz Truss was one of the few people who was sufficiently politically weak than she could be moved. She was moved to Shadow Chief Secretary of the Treasury, which has traditionally been a role that is either sort of somewhere where you are blooded if you are you know a, a seen as a rising star by your leader, whether you're you know Yvette Cooper or Andy Burnham in the mid noughties or Rishi Sunak at the start of 2020. God, what a weird 18 months it's been. Or it's an antechamber for someone who, you know, is being shunted back out of the cabinet and into the wilderness. And what she recognised was, you know, the party is traumatised. It's had this horrible election result against someone it thought was, you know, was was a joke and it could easily, just easily push aside. And there's a bunch of sort of weird heresies that have come into vogue in the party again. And do you know what? I know what I think. I'm fun. I'm a free marketer. I'm going to tell... It's, it's, it's not just I'm going to tell jokes, it's I'm, I'm a happy warrior, a time that the Conservative Party badly needed someone to be a happy warrior. And she basically kind of did, a, you know, like, hey, do you know what's fun? Thatcherism and being, as Alva says, you know, a kind of bit of a girl boss, right? Which, which met specific hunger in the Tory party. And then um, Liz Truss was one of the first people to endorse Boris Johnson. At the time, this was considered, a, uh, you know, a brave, even foolhardy decision. I mean, uh, another minister who themselves later on went on to do the same journey when it was more fashionable, texted me slightly acidly because I'd written something about how I thought she had good political instincts saying, oh, well, yeah, there's Liz Truss's good political instincts at work for you because it was seen as such an obvious blunder to endorse Boris Johnson at that point. But then what she did, right, in a situation where 
there are a lot of happy warriors in this Conservative Party. The grassroots doesn't perhaps need someone whose sole thing is, I jolly you up and tell you then what you believe is great. She then moved to go, oh, by the way, I'm also aligned with you on social issues. In a big speech on equalities that, I mean, call me overly cynical, but I don't believe that Liz Truss, the free marketeer's free marketeer, really believes that like the plight of left behind places and people is act- yeah i actually think liz truss's politics are much closer to the cameron era thatcherism for everyone regardless of you know your color creed or orientation than the kind of oh you know wither the white working class now maybe i'm i'm being deeply un- unfair and overly cynical but i think what she's done is she's successfully occupied the center ground of her part or the party center of gravity is probably a better way of putting it but the other really good thing about this excellent question is the follow-up which is well what about when the sort of free market rhetoric hits the road of what is about to happen to farmers in all of these trade deals now one of my first uses of my new freedom was we went to visit my in-laws and my father-in-law used to be a dairy farmer he retired shortly before brexit which i mean Obviously, he's pretty pleased to have got out of Dodge uh, in the right time. But he very kindly saves me his farmer's guardians, which are one of the trade press. It is going to create a big problem if, as looks quite likely, we have no tariff, no quotas. So free access for some, this is the sum is quite important, but very high environmental standards. Now, this is not true of all farmers, but it is certainly fair to say that a large number of farmers, basically, their double fear of this government is a bunch of, you know, hippie, you know, no, you can't use things which kill bees. No, you can't do this. Yes, you do have to do some rewilding at the same time as going, but farmers from elsewhere can. So it's not just, oh, they have to compete, you know, they have to compete with small organic farmers in England and Wales. They have to compete with similar farms in Australia, New Zealand, etc., etc. Now, not all farmers are Tories, although many farmers who I'm very fond of are. But um, yeah, not, not all farmers are Tories, but, but they do contribute. Um, they do contribute a lot to the inner life of many conservative associations. And I will once again do my general call now that things are opening up. If you are a constituency Labour Party, a conservative association, a Liberal Democrat Party, a SNP Party, please, 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 I will happily come to speak just so I get to meet the activists afterwards because it's just you just gain so much. So much interesting stuff about the inner life of parties. So please, I'll even pay for my own travel, uh, or rather the NS will pay for my own travel. Lots of these parties, right, you know, the okay, obviously the big donor is, you know, some huge guy who, you know, who, who texts someone saying, hey, do you mind looking at this development, allegedly? But the people who kind of, if you are a safe conservative seat and you're never getting any CCHQ money, but you're a bit, you have like a couple of problematic awards, which the Lib Dems might win, and now you're a bit worried the Greens might do the same. The person who pays for that are local farmers and the social life of the Tory party just as you know the social life of the Labour Party is things like the the Labour Club and yada yada and even though yeah the the links between those two institutions have slightly fallen away a bit is you know the young farmers all of that kind of stuff so what is going to happen to Liz Truss's standing if she goes from being I'm a, a fun imagined version of what Margaret Thatcher was as seen through the kind of eyes of the Conservative Party in the 21st century and she actually becomes yeah I am the Thatcher and by the way the role of the miners in this remake is played by you the farmers um, 
And one of the reasons why I went on about what a good question it is, is it's a question that I love because it's made me think. And I don't yet know what the answer is. This is one of the most interesting political trends. And this is why, you know, I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, one of the few times when I've sort of gone, oh, I understand how Keir Starmer's political approach won't just get a different version of the same answer than Ed Miliband and Jeremy Corbyn did was his speech to the NFU. But, you know, weirdly, having seen them themselves gain seats in, you know, Bath and North East Somerset and other places a bit like that, they've gone, oh, well, we, we don't like that. We've, we've got to be a party of Hartlepool or we might as well not exist. But the question is, is, is if Labour can sort of finally tackle its rural penalty, right? In the same way that Cameron's big thing was, we just need to do as well among posh ethnic minorities as we do among posh white people. If the Labour Party becomes serious about fixing its rural problem at the exact same time when they're essentially being kind of taken out back and go, going, you can have a Lynx or you can have an Australia trade deal. Which is, what? what's your preferred instrument of your demise, farmers? Then I think Liz Truss's political position could evaporate quite quickly. Against that, she's shown a remarkable ability to adapt in very difficult situations. So maybe we'll see a third act of Liz Truss where she's somehow gone, goes from being, you know, the all-singing, all-dancing trademeister to the, oh, oh, the farmers, the poor farmers. But, but I doubt it. I think that actually just, that is somewhere where I think, you know, again, there is a limit even to my cynicism. I think then for people like Truss, that the farmers need to compete on an international market is central to their view of politics and their view of the economy. And if that means that she stops being the darling of conservative associations, that is a price that she's willing to pay. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Alva Ray and Stephen Bush. You can find me on Twitter at Anoush underscore C. You can find me on Twitter at pronounced Alva. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Stephen KB. If you'd like to contribute a question to You Ask Us, you can email one in at podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk. We're produced by Chris Stone and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to leave us a review. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.